Matthew 13. I'm going to give my sermon title near the end. All right? I'm going to try to give you my sermon title near the end of today's thought. Matthew 13. Notice what the Bible says in verse 53. That was fun, wasn't it? All that is is response. That's just us responding to his presence. It demands a response, and that was just us responding. Verse 53, it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Osses and Simon and Judas, and his sisters, are, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? They were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Look at verse number 58 again. And he did not many mighty works there. And he did not many mighty works there. I remember being in Bible college at the age of 19, and for the first time in my life, I heard about a man in the 1800s named Charles Finney. I'd never heard of Charles Finney, but I was so mesmerized by his life, his ministry, and his calling that I stuck my nose into any book or any resource I could find as to find out what God did through this man and how God did what he did through this man. Charles Finney was a man who was a lawyer turned preacher. He was gloriously saved in the 1820s at a very young age. I think he was 21 when he came to know Christ. He noticed in many of the law books that he was studying and becoming acquainted with, there there were scripture references throughout the law books. And so he made it a priority to start learning the Bible in order to make sense of why these references were in his law books. And he fell under spirit conviction, reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God, So much conviction that he was troubled in the depths of his soul. One story and account says he went outside and he went up onto a hill and he said, either I will give God my heart on this hill or I will never ever return and I will die there. He was saved in glorious fashion. He was baptized according to his account and his biography. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. And he said this about that experience. He said, the Holy Spirit seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love for I could not express it in any other way. God began to do a mighty work in young Charles Finney, and he was never the same. He couldn't even return back to the practices of law. 
He had already, prior to his conversion, had an agreement with a young man he was going to represent in a defense trial. And as soon as he came in contact with the man after his conversion, he said this, I have a retainer of the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause and cannot plead yours. Everywhere Charles Finney went, revival followed. You can read amazing stories about how he would walk into towns and he would set up a revival on a Sunday that would overflow into Sunday evening and go all week long. And some of these revivals went weeks on end. There's one that ran from the fall of one year, and I believe it ran into March the next year, every single week, every single day. Towns would shut down. Listen to me. Towns would shut down. The dance halls, the rum shops, those are the bars. They would all shut down. The mills and the factories, the newspaper, everything would shut down, and they would be standing room, and people across the steps and sitting out next to the windows of every church or every arbor or every every tabernacle set up that he had orchestrated, and he would meet with God and he would preach with such charisma and fire and passion and the Holy Spirit of God moved in mighty ways where people of every class began to get saved and lives began to get changed and Catholic priests would come and get saved and self-proclaimed atheists would come and get saved and people that stood on the borders and fringes of being agnostic would come and get saved and people from all walks of life were coming to know Christ and the great awakening was happening at the hands of a man named Charles Finney under the anointing and the impression power of the Holy Spirit of God. I read of those kind of things, and I read of what God did in the book of Acts there in the life of the early church. I think about the things I've seen in my days gone by. I think about one time we took a group full of teenagers to Tennessee in my first ministry in Athens, and we watched a church service that was about to go two hours, go about seven or eight hours. We watched students running down the hill, falling on their face in the grass and calling on God. We watched young kids whose parents didn't know the Lord pull out their cell phone and call their parents to come to the tent meeting and the parents would show up and get saved. I watched my brother call his friend who lived in Watkinsville, his best friend at the time. We were under that tent in Tennessee and my brother walked out from under that tent in the parking lot, picked out his cell phone and called his friend Jared who lived in Athens, Georgia. And Jared got saved over the phone with my brother on one end. I watch God do things like that in seasons. I've, I've, I've had Sunday night's church services where they went three hours and we called a timeout and I told everybody, go to the Waffle House, I'll see you at midnight. And I watch car after car pull into the parking lot at midnight and people just get under where God was showing up and they just sit there until God spoke and stay there until God moved and they, they didn't want to leave, they didn't want to go to the bathroom, they didn't want to get up, they didn't get distracted, they didn't scroll on the phones, they didn't do anything because they were so mesmerized in the move and the mighty work of God, they didn't want to miss anything anything. I hear about what happens in other churches. I hear about what happens across our country. I hear about what happens on foreign soil. I was in a revival in South Carolina that I had preached, and I was there for one week, and it ended up going six weeks, and I drove back and forth to South Carolina every single night for six weeks. And I hear these things and I see these things and I I think about these things and the reality is there's many people right now, maybe even in this room, and you and I hear of these things. We read of Charles Finney. We look through the book of Acts. We hear of all these accounts and all these stories and we hear what our grandpa or our grandmother has talked about and we hear these things that God does and we say, maybe not with our lips, but deep embedded in the true recesses of our spirit and heart, we say, that's great, but that can't happen here. We hear of the mighty working of God and we say it won't happen here. 
And when we say it can't happen here and we say it won't happen here, guess what? It doesn't happen here. Somebody better talk to me this morning. This is what we find as the reality in Matthew chapter number 13. There's a few things in this story that I think deserve our attention. As you and I notice in his teaching and ministry, it's obvious to everyone that Jesus possesses, and I think you'd agree with this, Jesus possesses and demonstrates a power unlike anything the people have ever seen or witnessed. Yet, he does not many mighty works in his hometown of Nazareth. Now, Jesus intentionally went there to do many mighty works, Yet he does not do many mighty works. Now, let me be clear about something before I go any further. Let me be clear. This is not a matter of Jesus couldn't do it. This ain't a matter of Jesus had his hands tied because of humanity and Jesus couldn't do it. This is not a matter of that. This is a matter of he wouldn't do it. It doesn't say Jesus couldn't do it. In fact, it even implies that Jesus could do it and did some. But Jesus did not fully do what he desired to do because of the spiritual climate in the town of Nazareth. Now let me stop and call a commercial break and say we believe and we know that Jesus can still do many mighty works. Oh yes, I, I believe and I know that Jesus is still mighty. Elbow the person next to you and tell him he is mighty. Come on, tell him he is mighty. He is mighty. Let me remind you this morning, New Grace, at 11 a.m., that the God that you and I serve, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He is not weak. He is not anemic. He is not searching for a solution in 2020. He's not drinking Maalox or popping pills. He's, he's not worried about this world and the condition thereof. And Jesus does not look at your life, nor does he look at mine. He does not sit there and see our past and wonder what he's going to do about our sin and wonder what he's going to do about our secrets, wonder what he's going to do about today or wonder what he's going to do about tomorrow. But I came to tell you and remind you this morning that the Jesus I know and the Jesus I believe, the Jesus I serve and the Jesus I follow. I come to tell you that he's still mighty. He still sits on heaven and he looks down low. His throne is his seat and the earth is his footstool. He is the God of angel armies. Demons tremble and flee at his name. Oh, I think I want to talk about him for a second. His blood Blood runs crimson red down Calvary's cross. A blood that can cover the darkest of secrets and the deepest of stains. Do I have anybody in this room that knows the Jesus I'm preaching about? He's still mighty 2,000 years later after he arose and ascended. He's here in spirit and his blood still mighty. His love still mighty. His grace is still mighty. I wish I had some help in this room. I said, Jesus, he's still mighty. And he still works. I said, he still works. I'm living proof that he still works. 
this place is living proof that he still works. The fact some of y'all are clothed and in your right mind is proof that he still works. The proof you're sober, he still works. The proof that you're free, he still works. The proof some of y'all are dreaming and you can't shut it off, he still works. The proof he's worthy of praise, he still works. I'm about to do my own shouting this morning. I said he still works. He's still mighty. He still works. And he can do mighty works. And let's remember, he desires, oh my, to do many. When God does something, he does it big. When God does something, he blows the competition out of the water. When God does something, he does it so grand and so high and so heavenly. He don't need a Facebook ad. He don't need a billboard. He don't need a marquee. My God, it's going to be so good and it's going to be so God that everybody that sees it, everybody that hears it is going to be talking about it. I still believe word of mouth is still the greatest advertising tool we have in 2020 because once somebody has come under the flow of Calvary's fountain they will be like the woman at the well they'll leave their pot that can mean whatever it needs to they'll leave their pot and they'll leave the well behind honey they'll say I found a man that gave me living water that quenched every thirst in my soul I don't need another slick willy I don't need another Johnny come lately I found a man that told me all things ever I did I don't need a deeper well I don't need a longer rope I don't need a bigger bucket I found a man that gave me living water and you gotta come and taste and see that the Lord is good do I got anybody in the room that has tasted and seen that the Lord is good Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My God, I'm feeling black this morning. He can do many mighty works. My God, I ain't gonna get through this. Y'all gotta sit down and be quiet. Listen, help me. Now help me. Y'all like, you need to make your dang mind. You telling us to help you, and then we start helping you, you tell us to sit down. See, here's the deal. Jesus could do it. In our story, he could do it. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Now let me submit that it may be the same hindrances that caused Jesus to withdraw from performing many mighty works there could be the same hindrances that would cause him to withdraw from performing many mighty works here. I wrote this down. God told me to share this with you. It's evident in Scripture that God does mighty works in places and in people where he's desired, received, and invited. 
where people like old Tim would say, I like it, I love it, I want some more of it. But it's also evident in Scripture that God doesn't do mighty works in places and people where he is tolerated, neglected, or even rejected. And I believe that God wants to do many mighty works here. I believe he wants to do them in our church. I believe he wants to do them in your family. I believe he wants to do them in our lives. Just like he desired to do many mighty works when he went to the town of Nazareth, I believe he desires to do the same here. But... Think with me for a minute. Just think with me for a minute. Can we get creative together? Can we brainstorm together? What, what would I have to do to keep many mighty works from happening here? Like, what if I really don't care if he does it here? Like, what if... What it would require of me for him to do it here. I'm not willing to get that far removed from my own comfort zone. What if I got to leave my safe zone and get in a faith zone that I've never been in before and it's going to put me in a place of discomfort that I'm not sure I'm ready to sign up for yet. I'm about to preach up in this place. What, 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 what if... I'm not all about that happening. What could I do? What could you do? No, let's have a conversation. What, what, what if we all got on the same page? What if we worked together to keep it from happening? Like, what would that look like? What would we have to do together to keep many mighty works from happening here? Per perhaps, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there on the table. Topic for discussion. Perhaps we can do the same thing they did in Nazareth. Right here in commerce. To keep many mighty works from not happening. Notice what your Bible says in verse 54. Look at the scripture with me. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. Insomuch that they were astonished and they said, Man, where did this guy's wisdom come from? And where did these mighty works come from? Wait a second. This is Joseph's boy. Ain't this the carpenter's son? And ain't his mother's name Mary? We know his brothers. And his sisters too. Whence then hath this man, this man, all these things? Here's the first thing I'm going to do, and I'm going to make this real quick because i, I got to flip this sermon on its axis in about 20 minutes. I will get so familiar with God that I get used to his mighty works. Don't you miss what I just said right there. Context, context is everything. I'm going to get so familiar with God that I just get used to what he does. Can you think about this with me? At first, they were so astonished. They were so amazed. They were so shocked. They were so wowed. But because they were so familiar, because they had such a history with him, because they had known him for such a long time, seeing him operate under the anointing of his power as the Messiah had no effect on them because they knew him as the kid growing up named Jesus who had a, da a daddy named Joseph and a mother named Mary. They knew his brethren. They knew his sisters. And what they saw in him they discredited it because they knew who he was all too well 
Could it, be, could it be some of us in this room are so familiar with him that we're used to what he does? And it don't do nothing to us when he does something to us. I wish that y'all, y'all was helping me preach a while ago. Y'all was ready to hang from the ceiling and do some church. And now y'all looking at me like a calf staring at a new gate. I said he's doing things right now. But could it be some of us are so familiar. How about this? Some of us have been saved way too long. We done gotten comfortable. We done got calloused. We done got cold. And we done got used to it. We've adjusted to the temperature of his presence and it no longer wows us it no longer shocks us it no longer mesmerizes us there was a time in this room when we were singing that song and the presence of God was so thick in this place you wouldn't have been able to keep your eyes dry you wouldn't have been able to keep your hands in your pockets you wouldn't have been able to keep your mouth shut and that frown on your face yet you and I we've gotten so familiar with the things of God the power of God the work of God and the miracles of God have become minuscule the uncommon has become common and the spiritual has become normal they said this man i thought he was god they were so used to him they couldn't see him operating the supernatural all they saw was the natural man in flesh jesus not jesus the christ jesus god told me to tell you 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 might just got a little too familiar you've been coming to this church too long Are you telling me to take a sabbatical? I'm telling you to do whatever you got to do to where you're no longer used to God doing what God does. I don't want to ever get so used to it that it doesn't blow me out of the water. Now, I expect God to move, and I expect God to do the miraculous. I expect God to do the impossible. So I'm not going to be surprised that he did it, but I don't want to ever lose the awe and the grandeur of the fact that he did it while I was in the room where he did it. Just, just food for thought. You, you may be too comfortable. Like you, you, you would hold it at a movie, but you don't hold it here. Like it's time for people to get saved, and you're ready to go. Let me get to that door and check my kids out. I got to get out of here. The whole reason we were here was to see God glorified, the church edified, and somebody converted. And you want to check out before the, the the thing that we came over here to see happens? You, you too calloused. You too calloused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that ain't gonna distract me. I'm gonna keep on preaching. God knocking cups over. He, no, no, no. If I wanna, if I just don't wanna see it happen here, I'll get so familiar that I get used to it. I mean, I, I've been around this 20 years. It ain't no thing to see somebody get saved. What? It ain't no thing to see a marriage get restored. It ain't no thing to see a young preacher preach. It ain't no thing to see somebody who used to be hooked up on drugs, pumping stuff into their arm, passing out in alleyways, dying in ditches, get up on this stage and singing the glory of God. It ain't no thing to see men get off that bus from the potter's house. Should have blown their brain out 10 years ago, but here they stand in this room with us with their hands in the air, lifting up their voice unto God in freedom and glorification. It ain't a light thing when God... God does a miracle. It ain't a light thing when God walks in the room. It ain't a light thing when somebody gets saved. It ain't a light thing. Don't get used to it. Don't get used to it. Don't get used to it. Verse 57, they were offended in him. They got butt hurt. 
Now, if I don't want this to happen, if I don't want it to happen, I'm, I'm going to get so familiar with God that I get used to his mighty works. Second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to let my feelings get in the way of his mighty works. Jesus rubbed them the wrong way, didn't he? It bothered them. Displeased them. It offended them. They had hurt feelings. They had hurt feelings. That just bothered me. That didn't sit well with me. I didn't like that. You know what's funny? God's truth can be convicting. God's truth. Listen, when you're led by your fleshly feelings and you live by your fleshly feelings, conviction will translate as offense. I don't like the way that guy talked. I don't like what he said. That, that, that upset me. That bothered me. Shoot into a pack of dogs, and the one that hollers is the one that got shot. Let me, let, me, let me unpack this a little further. For most of us, it's not God that offends us. It's people. Right? It's people. And what's so crazy is we forget that the devil uses people to speak to us. You remember when Jesus was telling the disciples what he was going to go do at the cross? And Peter said, be it far from thee, Lord. And Jesus looked at him and said, Satan, get behind me. He looked at Peter and called him the devil. Ladies, I just justified what you've been saying to your husband. You know what that scenario was? The devil was using a human being to talk to somebody. And many times that happens to us. We think the enemy is wrapped in that flesh. We think the enemy is the one spewing insults. We think the enemy is the one that we're out with. When the reality is Satan has just utilized that person like a puppet on strings. And the, ventri the ventriloquist is talking through your neighbor, your spouse, your co-worker, your parents, your friend, your ex. Somebody better talk to me this morning. And, and we, we live with our feelings on our shoulders in such a way that we get offended and forgetting that the devil uses people to speak to us. And, and, then, and then we forget that God uses people to speak to us. God used John the Baptist to speak to Herod and it upset Herodias. And she had that young lady's make a request for John the Baptist's head on a silver platter and silence the voice of conviction in their life. And it's interesting that a lot of people get butt hurt when God uses someone to speak to you and it ain't what you wanted to hear. It's funny how we are all about that Ephesians letter where it says speak the truth in love and then somebody practices what we believe and we don't like the accountability being enforced in our life. Oh, it's getting quiet up in here. 
It's iron sharpens iron. The only way iron can sharpen iron is if the two swords meet together with force and cling one against another. Maybe some of the people that God put in your life to keep you sharp are knocking the rough edges off you, so get your feelings out of the way because God's trying to purify, sanctify. God ain't worried about you being happy. God's worried about you being holy. God ain't checking feelings this morning. How do you feel about it? God don't care how you feel about it. God ain't afraid of hurting your feelings. In fact, if God hurts your feelings, they were in the way. In fact, if you have a feeling problem, I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. God will purposely go out of his way to let somebody either be a tool of the devil or a tool of God in this church to hurt your feelings. And I'm all right if he opens up my toolbox and starts with me. Because if I can run you out of this room by telling you the truth, chances are somebody else in this room ain't going to be quite as crafty, as seasoned, and as thoughtful as I am with this mic in my hand. Let's move right along. No, I take that back. I ain't moving yet. Hold on. Here's the deal. Feelings are surface level. Feelings are superficial. Feelings are distorted. Feelings are misleading. And a lot of people in this room, as I'm preaching right now, have fallen prey to the spirit of offense. The spirit of offense is a wedging spirit. It's a wedging spirit. Come on, come on, Kevin. Come on, Zach. Come up here real quick. Come on, come on. Look at this wonderful divine connection that God has established between these two brothers in Christ. Two men alienated from one another in days gone by when they were lost and living like hell. Right? Okay. (laughs) Y'all looking at them like I'm talking to them. I'm talking to y'all. But you get saved and you get saved and something wonderful happens in the body of Christ, the church where members are one of another and there's a relationship, a divine relationship where these two brothers in Christ are getting closer and they realize that if they work together and they're laborers together, God can do great things. God God can do great. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, whatever. (laughs) Stay together. No, stay together. But the spirit of offense... The spirit of offense will capitalize, capitalize on the right moment, and the spirit of offense (laughs) is a wedging spirit. It will come between a divine connection. It will come between a God relationship. It'll come if I can set you at odds with him over something that was distorted truth, and I can have you misinterpret something God wanted you to hear, and I can I can messy up the message, I can I can wedge myself in between of a good thing, a God thing, and there will be far more gap between these two brothers than sitting on opposite sides of the room. Go sit down, go sit down. Some of us are victims of the spirit of offense this morning. And you're about to miss out on a divine connection that God has preordained and established in your life all because you are led of your fleshly feelings. Man, if we would get as sensitive in the spirit as we are in the flesh. If some of y'all would get as bent out of shape over the spiritual injustices in your own home as you are about the stupid bullcrap on Facebook. There are demons plotting in your front yard over the heads of your children and you are dropping, you are dropping innuendo 
and coded messages on Facebook to your 1,000 friends hoping one idiot out there reads it in the proper interpretation of a context that came from a twisted place in your stupid head. What the heck are we doing? We are not at war with one another. You're either going to hell or you're going to heaven. And if you're going to heaven, the mission is keep everybody that's going to hell from going to hell. And you can't do that vomiting on a laptop. I'm a little passionate about this. I'm sorry. What are you trying to say? Get over it. Get over it. Get over it. While you and I have been out of shape by the way we feel, God's going, well, I wanted to do something. Y'all so wrapped up in the wrong sensitivity. Y'all are sensitive, but about the wrong thing. How do I stop this from happening? Like right here, right here in this church. So that it starts here and then it happens in your life this week. I'll get so familiar with God that I just get used to his mighty works. I'll be so led and so full of my feelings that I just let them get in the way of his mighty works. And then I'll just be faithless when it comes to his mighty works. Verse 58 says, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. They saw it, they didn't believe it. They heard it, they didn't believe it. They had it, and they still didn't believe it. Why didn't they believe it? Well, they they didn't believe he was who he said he was. They didn't believe in what he was doing. You want to have a pulpit chair come to Jesus conversation? Y'all are like, I should have stayed home and made Frosty. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I love you too much to not be honest with us. They didn't believe in what he was doing. They didn't believe it was God doing it through him. They didn't believe he was God doing it as him. Let me ask y'all an honest question. It's okay. You don't have to respond out loud. Just search your heart. Y'all really believe God's doing all this? Or do y'all think this is like psychological stimulation? Yeah, a TED Talk. Thanks, Amanda. You think it's a TED Talk? This is a TED Talk. It's the most exciting TED Talk I've ever watched on YouTube. I'm serious. What is this? I mean, like, like people excited. They, they seem like they're all into it. They all seem like they believe it. Not everybody worships the same. Thank God, not everybody should worship the same. Not everybody responds the same. Not everybody should respond the same. But it seems like wholeheartedly, collectively, majority of this room really believes something is happening here and we're all persuaded and convinced that it's something of God. Could it be that somebody in this room, you really are not sure what you feel about this, what you think about this, what you believe about this? I mean, heck, Mick Jagger can get a crowd going. Right? The secular world can produce such results physically, emotionally. I went to church today. I knew God was there because I cried. That don't mean nothing. That don't mean nothing. Get the Double Live album from the 90s, Garth Brooks. It'll make you cry. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. You're a grown man going to work, about to run a weld machine. <laughs> don't mean nothing I get stirred and excited we got a good draft pick coming at UGA that's something to get excited about you won the lottery don't tell me you're gonna sit there like a silent saint 
Do we really believe beyond all the surface level of this experience that God in the supernatural, in the invisible, untouchable and untraceable with the eye, do we believe God is doing something here? I believe God is doing something here. I'm convinced God is doing something here. I believe God's doing something in your life. I'm convinced of that. It's not an accident that you're here right now. It's not a coincidence that you came. And let me say this. If this is your first time, you picked a heck of a Sunday to come. Because of all the days, think about it, you would have ever stayed home when there's white stuff on the ground, and I'm talking about snow. You decided to come here today. They didn't believe he was who he said he was. They didn't believe in what he was doing. Top it all off, they didn't believe he could do it with them. To top it all off, they didn't believe he could do it for them. And some of us in this room have given up believing on God. And unbelief is offensive to God. Jesus calls unbelief faithless and perverse. That word perverse has much deeper meaning than what comes to your mind's surface level. Perverse, perverted means distorted or twisted. Jesus said unbelief was twisted. It's distorted. It's not supposed to be that way. He said unbelief was offensive. Unbelief is a sure rejection of a move of God. And where people don't believe and people refuse to believe, God says, I can do it. I want to do it, but I'm not going to do it. I think if we'll just get real familiar, if we'll all live by our feelings and we'll all walk around here faithless, I think we could keep Jesus from doing many mighty works in this church. I think if you live your life like that, I think we can all just keep him from doing the things. Not, not, be clear, not that he can't, he won't. I just don't think he'll do it. He'll go somewhere else. He'll find someone else. And he'll do it somewhere else. However, I'm going to close. I don't want that. Now it's time to help me preach again. Let's take the chair away. No more pull up a chair conversation. I don't want that. I don't think you want that. I don't believe God wants that. I don't want to stop now. My God, I don't, I don't, I think we have come too far and we are too close to stop right now. There are too many people on the verge of going somewhere with God in their personal walk that they have never been. There are too many men in this room. You are too close. You've never come this far. It's never been just like it is right now. There were times over your shoulder a decade ago, you were close, but close don't cut it in the kingdom. And I want to tell you, you're at a breaking point. You're at a tipping point in your life where we're about to go from close to all the way in. And we're going to pull some people off the fence. We're going to get them off the tracks. We're going to get them over the line. We're going to get them off the edge and in the water. We can't stop now. My God, we've come too far. Not now. Not now. Although it didn't happen there. I told you I'd give the title at the end. Although it didn't happen there, I believe. It can still happen here. 
it can still happen here. Somebody say, it can still happen here. And I want it to happen here. I need it to happen here. I believe in our time, the year 2020, I believe it can still happen here. World's going to hell in a handbasket. My God, I need a witness. This world is getting darker. It's a heavy evil in this world. And I believe in the midst of an all-out warfare unfolding before our very eyes in these last days, I believe it can still happen here. I believe in commerce it can still happen here. I wish I had a witness in this place. I said it can still happen here in commerce. Right here in Banks Crossing. Right here in this shopping center next to an Outback Steakhouse. I believe it can still happen. I believe it can happen in this demographic where, where, where this, this, this community is saturated with an oppressive religious spirit. I believe it can still happen here where people would rather follow the traditions of men than the move of God. It can still happen here. Where people are settled with their I don't smoke, dip or chew, or run with those who do, they're 24 and no more. I believe it can still happen here. With people who come from a background of religious condemnation and you grew up with a granddaddy or a grandma who always told you you weren't enough, you weren't spiritual enough, you weren't godly enough, you weren't biblical enough, you weren't Christian enough, I come to tell you it can still happen here in a parking lot where they prostitute at the top of the hill, where they push in pills at the entrance, where there's homeless people sleeping in the woods. It can still happen here. I call out every demon, every addiction demon, every demographic demon, every classification demon, every racial demon. It can still happen here. I need somebody to help me go to church if you know God's still God and it can still happen here. At New Grace, it can still happen here. Yes, it can still happen here. It can still happen with preachers who were told they'd never preach again. Pastors who were told they'd never lead again. Worship leaders who were told they'd never sing again. Servants who were told they'd never serve again. Church members told they would never belong again. People thought they would never dream again. People who were convinced they'd never be used again. I come to tell you, the devil is a liar. It can still happen. It can still happen here. My God, some of y'all need to notify the devil this morning. I hear you talking. I hear you running your mouth. But I have a God who can blow my mind. I have a God who ain't washed his hands of me. He has not set us on the shelf. And he can still do it here. Somebody give him praise. Come on. Let me close this thing. Courtney's going to come help me close. Let's land the plane. Let's land the plane. We can land it on the cloud, but I want to exit properly. Let's land it on the... Let's find a tarmac with the Holy Spirit. For you. 
For you, it can still happen here. For the young lady in this room in an unequal yoke relationship, dragging a man who's got no interest in the God you love, it can still happen there. For the person who has done their due diligence to prepare themselves for the move of God in their life, but you are sitting on the sidelines watching other people get used. I want to tell you, it can still happen there. For the gentleman in this room who has fear in his heart about plunging in to the call of God because he can't quote three verses and can't tell you what's Old Testament, New Testament, I want to tell you it can still happen there. For the gentleman that got off that van this morning, walked into this property, feels overlooked and unnoticed, and has a past you believe will be the umbrella of condemnation that will always tie your hands when it comes to divine opportunity, I want to tell you it can still happen there. For the person who's going to take a giant leap of faith this year, step out onto the uncharted and the unknown, and the reality of your mind is you are fearful of the unknown becoming known. And what lies behind every curtain and every closed door, I want to tell you, it can still happen there. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. It can still happen here. It can still happen here. Here's what you're going to do today. You ready? If you're ready for it to happen in your life, in your family, in your ministry, in this church, in commerce, in 2020, if you believe it can still happen here, here's what you're going to do. Instead of getting so familiar with God that you get used to His mighty works, seek God for something fresh. I'm talking to the person that's bored with the Holy Ghost. Seek God for something fresh. Oh, hear me out. Job said in 29.2, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. In verse 20, Job cried out and said, My glory, oh, I remember it well, my glory was fresh in me. You need something fresh, not the same old familiar. You need something fresh. You need a fresh touch this morning. You need a fresh joy. You need a fresh hope. You need a fresh peace. My God, who am I preaching to in this room? You need, you need some fresh oil. David pinned under Holy Ghost inspiration in that OT. He said, I need to be anointed with fresh oil. I need it on my head, running all the way to the sole of my foot. I want to be covered, smothered, just like a hot dish at Waffle House. I want it all over me. My heart beats out of my chest for people who have done this and got out of it and are trying to get back in it. I want every single man and woman who ever had both of their hands and you are knee deep in ministry and you got out of it and you know what it's like and how hard it is to get back in it. I want you to stand up. Come on. You were in it. You got back. You got out of it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I want you all to look at me. I want you to look at me. I want you to tell you something. God got something fresh for you. 
You got something fresh for you. You got some oil preserved on the shelf. Oh, God. Yeah, he got a fresh, he got a fresh dew. My God, I want, I want everybody sitting down. I want you to look at these people that are standing up. You see these people standing up? These people are a testimony that it might get so hard one day you get out. But just because you get out don't mean God can't get you back in. I wish I had a witness in this place. My God, I can't ever imagine jumping ship, but I want to know that if I do, God still got something fresh for me, just like the days of old, just like the days gone by, that God don't go out of business. God don't shut down shop. Do I got a witness in this room? Somebody say, God, I need something fresh. Sit down, sit down, sit down. I'm almost done, I'm almost done. Instead of letting your feelings get in the way, of his mighty works you need to seek God for spirit filling you need to seek God for spirit filling Paul said be not drunk with wine where is an excess but be filled with the spirit as common and as popular as it is to use that verse to support on why one should not get drunk in the excess of wine or alcohol that's not the deliberate delivery of this context it's a metaphorical analogy where Paul is saying in the same way someone would get under the influence of alcohol to where it begins to take over your senses be so filled to capacity with my spirit that it begins to take over your senses. And God told me to tell you, instead of letting your feelings, I'm, I'm, listen to me, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. Instead of letting your feelings get in the way, seek God for a spirit of filling. You need filling, not feeling. You need filling, not feeling. Because when God is moving, it's impossibly led of your senses. Everybody, everybody just take a deep breath and smell the air. I can't smell it. Everybody get quiet with me as she plays. Tune your ear to the frequency of heaven. I did not hear the call of God audibly with my ear. I heard the squeaking of a chair and that was it. Take your hands and reach before you. For the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God is everywhere, yet I cannot feel Him. Like that serpent coiled around the tree in the garden, flick that tongue in the air. Can you taste Him? I cannot sense Him upon my palate. I cannot allow my feelings to override my filling for I may miss the gravitational pull of heaven in the middle of my earth. 
Lastly, instead of letting your life be faithless when it comes to His mighty works, you need to seek God for seed faith. Seed faith. I don't want to cut this off too soon, and I sure as heck don't want to drag it out further than necessary, but I want to be very precise. I want to be very careful. I want to deliver this to whoever needs it. Unbelief was the root of the issue in Matthew chapter 13. Somebody say amen. Four chapters later, watch this, four chapters later, a father brings his demon-possessed son to the disciples, and they cannot cast out this deaf, dumb spirit in this boy. And the father, in a move of desperation, brings his son to Jesus. His son, mind you, who the demon tried to have him in flesh commit suicide, casting himself down in fire, trying to drown himself in water. And the dad brings the boy to Jesus and he says, look, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't cast him out. And this is where we get an utterance, profound words from Jesus where he says, you faithless and perverse generation, how long should I be with you? Bring him to me. Oh my God, imagine the relief inside the Father's heart when Christ says, just bring him here. Bring him to me. Bring him to me. The Father cries out and he says, if you can do anything, you can have compassion on us. If you can do it, can you help us? I love how Jesus flips it around and asks the same if, but in a different manner. He said, well, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth." Don't miss this. And the father says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Like right now in this moment where I'm watching my boy possessed, consumed with this demon entity. In my heart of hearts, the core of my being, I believe. I believe you can do something about this. But in the same breath of me telling you that I believe, there's a part of my flesh that doesn't. God told me to tell you something. I want you to listen to me. Don't you misconstrue what I'm going to tell you. Unbelief is natural. Unbelief is the natural human nature response to God. Unbelief is the natural fallen, sinful human nature. For Paul tells us that the natural man cannot comprehend nor discern the things of God. In your natural state as a human being, the old you, the natural you, the sin-cursed you, your fallen nature cannot wrap its mind around the supernaturalness of God. And our unbelief is our natural response to God. When we come in this room and we hear the preaching, we see the move, we feel and sense the presence of God, there's a natural response that does not believe it. And in this moment of teeter-tottering on, I believe, I don't believe, the man says something supernatural as the essence of his faith. Although I don't believe, he says, Lord, I got a tiny little bit of faith. And I can tell you somewhere in the recesses of who I am, I do believe.
Do you know that in my natural state, my initial response every time is doubt. My initial response is distrust. My initial response is unbelief. But do you know ever since I came to know the Lord and I got born again, regenerated, and His Spirit was in me, a part of me I didn't know was there came alive under the supernatural touch and quickening power of the Holy Ghost. And now faith is possible. And now in this natural body, in this natural world, I can eclipse and I can cross over into a threshold, a dimension that you and I cannot trace, we cannot taste, we cannot smell, we cannot see we cannot sense and I'm able to operate with God on a level another dimension called faith everybody say faith faith is the substance of things hoped for it's the evidence of things not seen without faith it's impossible to please God for he that cometh to God must believe that he is the just shall live by faith you're saved by faith we see by faith we walk by faith everything we do is by faith and when I operate by faith I transcend the natural and I begin to step into the supernatural and when I believe I activate faith in the supernatural and I act in faith in the supernatural and although I may look like I doubt in my face I've got a faith in my heart that says I believe help my unbelief I believe but help me where I'm weak in my unbelief seed faith why you say why you say seed faith let me close with this watch this you're gonna like this every preacher in the room is gonna eat this up Jesus cast that demon out of that boy the disciples pull him aside privately Matthew 17 and Mark 9 mirror the same story two accounts of the same setting and in Matthew 17, they pull Jesus up privately and they say, Hey, how come we couldn't cast that thing out? And Jesus said, Because of your unbelief. Your unbelief rejected the move of God that wanted to work through you. And then Jesus says this, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, everybody say mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. You know, people read this, quote this, speak this, preach this all the time. And I don't think we properly understand the real depths of context that Jesus was alluding to. They just came down off a mountain in Matthew chapter 17. Peter, James, and John up there see Jesus transfigured in all of his celestial glory. They come down the mountain. It's funny, the things you get up, the things you get while you're up, you better get them because you're going to need them when you come down. The top of the mountain is the smallest part of the mountain. Sermon for another day. You better learn how to capitalize on peak time. Somebody say amen. They come down the mountain and that's where they meet this father with his son who's demon-possessed. They cannot cast out this opposition. They cannot cast out this obstacle. They cannot cast out this immovable object. Are you hearing me? Watch this now. They can't cast. They can't remove. 
this mountain standing in their way. And Jesus said, you come over here dilly darling with unbelief. You ain't going to move that demon entity of a mountain out of that boy without faith. And he said, you guys got it backwards. If you have faith, the grain as a mustard seed. Smallest of all seeds. He said, you could have spoke to this mountain. In their setting, it was a demon. In your setting, it might be a loan. In their setting, it was a demon. In yours, it might be a marriage. In their setting, it was a demon. In yours, it might be a dream. God, who am I preaching to? In their setting, it might be a demon. In yours, it might be depression. In their setting, it was a demon. In yours, it might be addiction. In their setting, it was a demon. In yours, it might be divine opportunity. just had faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed you could have looked at this mountain and said remove you see the context there remove to yonder place and it would have got out because nothing nothing you are no limit soldier nothing is impossible why did Jesus compare our faith like as unto a seed. Why should you and I right now this morning for our life, for our church, for our community, my God for ourselves? why should we seek God for seed faith? Because a seed a seed is already as small as it's going to get. Which means a seed can only get bigger. He said, your faith is like a seed and the only thing left that can happen to your faith is it grows. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm glad I got faith that can produce a good hot dog. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, ain't no hot dog without mustard. Y'all are slow today. Y'all are slow. It's all right. I'll feed you baby birds. It's all right. Michael, watch this. This is great. You know how you get a seed to grow? You got to plant it. You got to put it somewhere got to place it in something can I tell you about something that happened to me one Sunday night in the month of October in the year 2000 I went to a pastor's office and I knelt down and buried my face in a leather chair and I made Jesus Christ my Lord and when I did I took the little seed of my faith and I planted it in his son and that was 
20 years ago that I trusted Christ and that was the very beginning of my relationship where I planted my first seed and can I say ever since then the seed has only gotten bigger the scene has only grown the scene has only deepened now it's got roots now it's got a stem now it's got branches now it bears fruit what I planted as a seed has only gotten bigger over time do you know what God was saying to them and to you when it comes to your faith a little is a lot when it's all you got my God touch somebody next to you tell them a little is a lot when it's all you got now somebody shout I said somebody shout I got seed faith I got seed faith if you got seed faith I'm able to look at whatever mountain is in my way our God and I'm going to say in the name of Jesus on the authority of his word on the basis of my belief naturally there's a part of me that distrust naturally there's a part of me that's afraid naturally there's a part of me that doesn't know how in the world God's going to do it but I got something inside of me the side of a grain of mustard seed and I believe if God has done it before I believe that God can do it again so I'm placing my faith I'm planting my faith in the blessed rock of ages in the promise of his word in the truth of who he is do I got anybody in this room this morning that says I'm seeking God for a seed faith to believe that God is a mountain mover done before somebody in the room help me give him praise if you know if a little is a lot when it's all you got a little is a lot when it's all you got now don't sit down don't sit down do you believe it can still happen here do you believe it can still happen do you now what now I, I'm, I'm not talking about my mountain I'm talking about yours you believe it can still happen we got mountains in our way we got mountains in our way do you believe it can still happen Jesus looked at him and said by the way all you got to do is speak to that mountain Some of y'all are silent. You ain't been talking to your stuff. My God, that's real good. You ain't talking to the stuff in your way. You letting the stuff in your way talk you out of the way. God said, I need your faith to take action. I need your faith to have some volume. I need your faith to influence the stuff that's in your way. You got to start talking to the mountains and telling them it's time to move. I don't care what it costs. I don't care who I need to meet. I don't care where I need to go. I don't care what I need to sell. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to speak to the mountain until the mountain moves. One last time, somebody help me give him praise if you believe it can still happen 